um, I'm reading Ephesians 4, 25-32. Therefore, each of you must put a false head hood on and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but work, but must work doing something useful with his, with his own hands that we may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Put away the old self. Put on Jesus Christ. Put away the old self. And put on Christ. Last week, Phil reminded us of this rhythm of taking off and putting on. The rhythm of death and new life, which each of us are called into continually, every day of our lives. Did you feel that rhythm this past week? Did you feel as if you had countless opportunities to take off your old self and to put on Christ? Do you feel as if Jesus is a little bit more real to you today than he was just a week ago? Or if you're being honest, did last week just feel like a normal kind of week? I know that a week isn't very much time to measure that kind of change in. This is the journey of a lifetime, but I think as well that the kinds of changes that we're called into that the change of being marked by the cross of Jesus Christ, that these things are not evident in one sudden and grandiose decision. They're built upon thousands of smaller everyday decisions. Jesus didn't spend 30 some odd years living just however he wanted and then one day wake up and decide that he would go to the cross. He lived a life of painful obedience, even in the smallest things, which led him to the cross. So too, we, when we learn Jesus Christ, learn the pattern of the ordinary. We learn the pattern of the mundane, the day in and day out. We learn the pattern of countless tiny decisions that often seem inconsequential to us. But these decisions somehow convey the image of Christ to the world. I'm reminded of elementary school art projects in pointillism. Are any of you familiar with pointillism? 
It's this form of art where you paint tiny dots on a page, thousands of dots. And when you look at it, your eye and your mind work together and they blend the dots that you've painted into new shades and new colors. And you see a bigger image, something that wasn't there when you were just painting each single dot. But if you held it close enough, it would really just be dots. This is what our new life is like. Each action in our day to day is a dot helping to form the image of Christ in us. And the dots seem so simple. Consider the things that Paul lists for us in the scripture that was read this morning. Don't lie, don't sin in your anger, don't steal. Don't speak evil. Are these really the amazing, groundbreaking secrets to the new life in Christ? These simple things are the things that we teach infants. Don't lie and don't steal. Do we really need to be reminded of these basic things? Couldn't Paul just assume that we got that already and move beyond morality 101 into advanced Christianity? I think that those of us who have been in the church for a long time, who worship regularly, who have known Jesus, maybe we can't remember a time before we knew Jesus. We're especially tempted by this. We're prone to be feeling prideful in ourselves that these basic things go without saying, that we don't need to be reminded of them anymore. And we don't hear the wisdom in their words either. But Karl Barth reminds us that the Christian life can never be anything other than the work of beginners. There is actually no advanced Christianity. I'm sorry to disappoint you. It disappoints me a little bit too. We don't graduate beyond these basic things. Like little children, we hear these lessons again and again We internalize them. We try and we sometimes fail to obey them. And then we graciously receive the correction over and over throughout the course of our lives. In a world where Christian politicians cannot be trusted by their words, and Christian business people are tempted to steal and manipulate and cheat, Perhaps we need to hear these simple reminders from Paul now more than ever before. Because putting away falsehood, well, that's complicated. Being angry and releasing it in a healthy way, that's hard work. Giving up an addiction to acquiring more and more at the expense of others, Well, that really does feel like death. It's not so easy. And if we think that these simple things are easy, then perhaps we need to re-examine our lives to see how it is that God's Holy Spirit is calling us and challenging us to put off the old self because we might be missing it and calling us to put on Christ instead. Each of these rules for the new life which Paul shares are not simply the negative, do not do this. But he also includes a positive suggestion for experiencing the fullness of life in Christ.
putting away falsehood, let all of us speak truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Paul doesn't just say, don't lie, but he adds the admonition to speak truth. And he does so because we are members of one another. We tend to like to tell the truth the most when it's convenient for us, when it helps us in our cause, and likewise, we tend to lie when that's convenient too. Not only is Paul talking about the lies we tell, but he's also talking about the lies we enact, the lies that we live. Some commentators translate this as, so then, put off the lie. Put off the lie which is your old selves. Put that behind you. And with that behind you, now you speak truth in your words. But you also speak truth in your actions toward one another. Paul reminds us that when we put on Christ, our truest selves, we're no longer seeking our own personal gain, but we've become a member of a much larger body, which is this community that we are in fact actually somehow members of each other. And so when we lie for our benefit or behave in ways that are not true to our Jesus selves, it is actually to the harm of the body which we are a part. And when we tell the truth, even in convenient truths that seem uncomfortable for us, it is for our gain in the body of Christ. And so he continues, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. Yes, be angry. It's okay to be angry sometimes. Anger can be healthy. It shows that you actually care about something. You're not apathetic. You have a vested interest in whatever's going on. But don't sin. Don't let that anger control you. Don't let that anger risk your relationships with one another. In fact, deal with that anger as it comes up. Be honest about it and settle it. Don't let it fester in your heart. Don't let it create resentment. Don't let the provocation to anger remain day after day, stoking the flame of your anger every time you see it. Deal with it. Don't make room for the devil. Don't make room for the devil in your life. And don't make room for the devil in the space of your relationships with each other. Live genuinely and honestly. Love each other enough to be honest about when you're angry and to resolve that anger that you have. This is the call of Christ on our lives. Now, building on this, Paul says, thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Again, we see this pattern. Don't just stop stealing. That's not good enough. Start working with your own hands so that you have something to share with other people. We must not greedily take away from others and harm our relationships with them or recklessly harm a community that we're within. And I suspect many of us this morning are thinking, 
well, I haven't stolen since I was a child. Why is Paul still talking about this? Everybody knows not to steal. To which St. Basil the Great would respond, when someone steals clothes, we call them a thief. Should we not give the same name to one who could clothe the naked and chooses not to? The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it. The shoes rotting in your closet belong to the one who has no shoes. The money which you hoard up belongs to the poor. The church has always held this to be true. Wealth not shared is stolen from the poor. And I suspect a great many of us here are guilty of this kind of stealing of many of our neighbors in greatest need. And we are urged by Paul to choose constantly to become a healthier part of this community of Christ, to give generously of our own resources that we've worked hard for, that we've earned honestly with our own hands, to give generously of these things, to work for the benefit of others and provide new avenues into relationship. Are you starting to see how this might actually be hard work? How this isn't the simple morality we teach the children? Paul then continues, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. Don't be vicious. Don't be slanderous or malicious, but speak life into other people. In our culture, we have that saying, if, we, if you don't have anything nice to say, you shouldn't say anything at all. And it's almost as, as if Paul is taking an opportunity here to remind us, no, you really ought to have something nice to say. You really ought to have something life-giving to say. Because your words are to give grace to those who hear. Your words have a purpose. They have power. We are all ministers of the gospel. We are all people of the word. And the word brings light and life. So too our words should be words of great love and encouragement. Did you notice that each of these instructions presents an alternative way of living that specifically builds up community? This isn't just some pattern of living for you to live the good life. But it's a pattern of living in community of people bound together by the bond of peace. As each of us continually puts off the old self and clothes ourselves with Christ, we find amazing subversions of our expectations, new realities of the kingdom of God. Now liars tell the truth. The angry seek out peace. Thieves have learned generosity. And evil words turn into words of life. Each of these is true for the sake of the body that we have become a part of. The new community that God is forming in our midst for our sakes. This is the new life in Christ, brothers and sisters, that we do not live for ourselves. Doing what benefits us most personally. But we live for the benefit of the community we live for each other to be for each other the very presence of Jesus Christ, 
modeling him and imitating him. We do these things in even the simplest of actions in our everyday life when it seems like nobody's looking. We continue to paint little points of mercy, little points of grace, points of love and generosity, which from a distance over years and decades when placed all alongside each other, begin to look a lot like the face of Christ. Perhaps you can see it even now. So, as if all of that weren't good enough reason to follow this new pattern of living in Jesus, to put off our old self and to put on Christ, the Apostle Paul continues by giving us one more reason, which is actually a little bit unsettling at first. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. He's telling us not to cause the Holy Spirit to grieve. The Holy Spirit which binds us together, who indwells us and personally relates God's self to us, who intercedes on our behalf and comforts us. We can cause our comforter to become uncomfortable by our sins. The Holy Spirit is grieved in our sinning. We can cause the Holy Spirit to grieve. We can cause God great sorrow. Do any of you remember growing up and doing something wrong and going home and just being prepared for the worst? You are going to be grounded for the rest of your life You are never going to see your friends ever again. You don't know what else to expect, but it's going to be bad, and you've braced yourself for it. And you go home, and your parent says, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. And that hurts more, doesn't it? You were ready for anger. You were ready to be lashed out against. You had braced yourself for the absolute worst. You had your strategy all plotted out. Whatever it was, you could accept anger. But disappointment, grief, anger mitigated by great love, that stings somehow. Our relationship to the Spirit is beyond that of our relationship with our parents. Our parents provided for our sustenance and they cared for us. But the Holy Spirit of God has marked us for the day of redemption. Our eternal sustenance, our future glory, is rooted in the work of this Spirit. So how much more then should it sting us to think that we may have grieved the Spirit? And like a good parent, The Spirit doesn't leave us. It doesn't abandon us. We are still sealed for the day of redemption. But it does grieve. It grieves its work that we are undoing. It grieves the disunity of the body which we have caused. It grieves the pain of others which we have invoked for our own pleasure or our own earthly success. God grieves our sin. God grieves fragmented and lost community. God grieves the dots of love which we have chosen to leave unpainted. 
So do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but instead put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. Put away your own patterns of anger which are absent of love. Put away these behaviors of the old self which continue to grieve the Holy Spirit. Put them aside and instead be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Paul at this point has shifted from talking about specific actions to talking about a disposition of our hearts. We are to replace wrath and malice with kindness and tender-heartedness. This continues to be difficult work. As Phil reminded us last week, we must constantly choose to die to ourselves every day to come alive to Christ. We may find that we wake up every morning with those old raggedy clothes of the old self on us again. We don't know how they showed up, but they keep showing up, and so again we choose to take them off and to clothe ourselves with Christ. Every day in little actions, simple things which don't seem like very much at all, things rooted in truth and resolving anger, in giving generously and speaking life. I experience this struggle with tenderheartedness. Tenderheartedness comes from this Greek word, which literally means good intestines. The, the Greek people were a little bit weird, but for them, the guts are the seat of true emotion. It's your guts where feeling is held, and so good intestines are good gut feelings. They're good gut feelings toward each other. And so Paul is saying that we all need to have those good gut feelings for each other, that our natural inclination for each other should be graciousness, and the willingness to suffer alongside each other. And I have found over time and shared on multiple occasions that my quickness to sarcasm and my sometimes biting sense of humor becomes misplaced. And it becomes this bad gut feeling toward others. It becomes a hard-heartedness. And while I continue to firmly affirm that sarcasm has its place in the world, I constantly need to remind myself what that place is and to practice speaking life, of cultivating good gut feelings, of finding that I should have good intestines. When thinking about the events of this past week, of the American election in the South, and the ever-expanding divide between political stripes, not only in the United States, but all around the world. I am reminded of how easy it is for us to act in anger and in fear, to be steered by malice, to not have kind or tender-hearted dispositions toward each other. Even with other Christians, who we may disagree with politically or on social issues, and Paul calls us to a unity of the body rooted in our shared forgiveness in Christ. A genuine goodwill toward each other that baffles the minds of casual observers. And I am also reminded in today and the very good news that's printed on the front of each of your bulletins 
that our refugee sponsor family is coming to Canada, that Hanin and Yusuf will be here, and they are the kinds of people for which we are called to be the community that exists for the other. This is a working out of our being the body of Christ. When Hanin and Yusuf land, this church has said we will be their community. We will be their connections to everything that they need for new life here in Canada. And that this is the gospel of Jesus Christ embodied. That this is the work of the church. And every time we baptize a new person, and every time we hear a profession of faith, or ordain a new elder, again and again we commit to being people's connections to new life. That's what the church is. We are connections to new life, and we're a community to experience new life within. We agree to be Jesus for each other as we are transformed by his Holy Spirit to become more and more like his body. And I think that is incredibly good news. I want to challenge you this week. As you continue in your own practice of putting off the old self and clothing yourself with Christ, remembering that we are members of each other, why don't you live this week intentionally being sensitive to where you may be called to speak life to another person? to speak words of grace which build somebody else up. Try to speak an encouraging or uplifting word to somebody this week where you may have occasionally spoken hatred or malice and mean those words. Take some opportunities to build up this body of Christ this week, which is Knox Church. Paint just one more dot of generosity and life into this picture of Jesus Christ, which we are for each other and which we are for the sake of the world. Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. We are called to community. And that community is good, it is blessing, and it is life forevermore. So let us remember how good and pleasant it is to be God's people together. And to be Jesus Christ for each other. In simple, everyday actions. As we take off the old self and choose to put on Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.